Welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Bible Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm Pastor Levi Secord, and I'd like to thank you for listening. Christ Bible Church exists to bring all of Christ into all of life, and in doing so, we glorify God. This podcast series is not meant to be a replacement for the local church. It is not meant to replace your regular gathering with Christ's people across Christ's earth. And so we encourage you to use these sermons to bring glory to God, to bring all of Christ into all of life, and to strengthen and encourage one another in his name. With all of that in mind, let us turn our hearts and our minds now to the preaching of God's word, and in it may we see and glorify and emulate our Savior. It's, uh, it's good to be here preaching from the pulpit that Pastor Levi often preaches from, as he said um, about me, I would say the same of him. He's a good friend. It's a rare thing to have a friendship like we have. Um, and so it's an honor to bring the word with you this morning. Uh, now, when I mentioned to the pastoral staff at the church I serve at in Moundsview that I'm preaching here, I was told rather enthusiastically, tell those brothers blessing from us. And so it's, it's fun and it's a privilege to serve the broader, broader body of Christ here in the Twin Cities. And so um, it's good to open the word. Now, I grew up in Roseville, and so it feels a little bit like being home to be here. I have a special love for this place, and so I'm thankful uh, for the work that God is doing here in, in this midst. I can say more, but I'll just say this. It's good to be among friends, old and new. Now, uh, to the task at hand. So it's the first Sunday of the new year. I don't know if you have thought about that. But I always think about that. Every New Year's, I think of New Year's resolutions. And it seems like in my, in my life of attending churches, I often hear some reference to New Year's resolutions in the New Year's sermon. And so I'm just going to start there. And the text we have this morning, 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 11, really speaks uh, to this idea of training, right? So when we go to the, so how many of you ever go to the gym in January? I like to avoid the gym in January because it's packed. Because you have all the people who have New Year's resolutions that want to do that. But last week, I helped a friend of mine move his new refrigerator into his basement. And as I was doing so, I saw he had this nice COVID gym, you know, from 2020 when all the gyms were shut down. He decided to put his money towards uh, building a gym. And on the wall, it said the word grind. There is a poster. And underneath it said, definition, doing small, repeatable steps toward a goal. Grind. Doing small, repeatable steps towards the goal. And the key to achieving a goal really is knowing what are those steps, right? So if, if you've ever learned a skill like whether it's playing the piano, you know, there's certain skills that you need to know, right? Your scales and your arpeggios. Um, if you don't know those basics and those fundamentals, it's hard uh, to, to excel. Or if you play basketball, there's certain skills that you need to know. I was just watching the kids run around in the gym and seeing some of them were working on their dribble. In basketball, you need to know your dribble. You need to know your free throw. You need to know your layup. Um, you know those. You do drills that reinforce those skills, and eventually those come together and become second nature. And what happens uh, when, when we do that is you begin to have this sense of maturity in playing the piano or basketball. I don't, how many of you ever learned a new language? I'm working on a new language. I've been working on it for the last a year, and I picked up one of those language apps. And you know what I love about the language app? It tells me the small, repeatable steps I need to do every day. 
Um, and I know, because I have sentences that are on a Word document that I need to read every day. Do I do those every day? No. But I open up my app every day because it gives me a little alert. But having those sentences on that Word document that I try to be disciplined to do and doing my app every day, I'm at, I'm at 314 days in a row so, so far, so I feel like I'm on my way to learning how to speak another language. But training is essential for success. And the burden of our text for this morning is that not that we would get fit or that we'd be able to speak in multiple languages, but that we would train for godliness. And some of you might be asking the question, well, what is godliness? Or maybe your definition is a little bit fuzzy, but Paul in 1 Timothy, we see in first, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, he said, he's talking about the letter, he's writing to Timothy, and he says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So this is what godliness looks like, a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. Godliness is the aim of Paul's charge to Timothy, that he would grow up into it. Godliness is the goal of the Christian life. John Calvin, I'll put it this way, godliness is a very great gain to us because by means of it, we obtain the benefit not only of being heirs of the world, but likewise of enjoying Christ and all his riches. In other words, godliness is how we're able to enjoy everything that God has given us in Christ. Paul later says in chapter 6, verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. We in Christ have been given such great riches and privileges that we must grow up into them. So we can fully appreciate and be good stewards of them. In order to steward the wealth of the gospel, we must grow up. We must train. Just like a small child can ride in the family mini minivan, they can appreciate it in one way, but they have to be, have the maturity of a teenager before the state government will let them drive. Or just like if we were to go back to the piano analogy, you could have a Steinway grand piano and put a four-year-old on it, and they can plunk away at it. But who do you really want to hear play it? You want to hear someone who, can, who really knows how to play those keys, right? Maturity has to happen for us to have a full appreciation for what we've been given in Christ. This is godliness, and we must train for it. But how do we do this? How do we train for godliness? Or if I can, if I can use, to reference our poster from the beginning of the sermon, what's the grind for godliness? And Paul in this text calls Timothy to do three things, and I'll summarize those three things in this way. In verse six, do the essential work that God's called you to. And in verses seven through eight, don't get distracted. In verses nine through 11, set your hope on the living God. So let's take a closer look at verse six. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. Paul is saying to Timothy, do the essential work that God's called you to. This essential work reflects Timothy's identity as a servant of Jesus Christ. And this essential work is focused work. It's, it's work centered on two things, the words of faith and of good doctrine. The word. And the word rightly understood. And it is work consistent with Timothy's character. Actions speak louder than words, and words spoken from the heart that have been transformed by the gospel have more impact 
than just play acting and saying the right things. And Paul affirms Timothy that he has a gospel-shaped character that grounds the work of teaching and preaching gospel essentials. Now the application for us, that we are not not all teachers and preachers and church planters in first century church, is quite similar to Paul's exhortation to Timothy. We could say this, do the essential work that God has called you to. Your work, my work, flow from our identity as servants of Christ. Not all, not all of us are pastors, as I mentioned before, but some of us are kids. And we have parents, right? To obey. Siblings to love. Some of us are parents. Some of us are employers. Some of us are neighbors. Some of us are husbands and wives. And there's a way that we can live out the calling that God has placed in front of each of us to do the work that God has called us to do. And that work really is to teach and to do, or to show and tell. Um, You may have heard the saying, those who cannot do, teach. But that's not what Paul is saying here to Timothy. He's saying, you can do it, now teach it. And that's the same for us. As we grow in our maturity, whether you're five years old or 55 or 89, there is a calling on us as we do the work of the gospel as we see God at work in us, we should tell others about what God has done for us and in us and through us. Now we see in verse 7 through 8, it's very easy to get distracted. Now in Paul's day, we have something called irreverent and silly myths. Right? He says, have nothing to do, in verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So there's this, this call to avoid, not get distracted by things that are not essential to the gospel. Now that song that we just sang earlier today about the five solas, the five core truths of the gospel, that's, that's a good anchoring doctrinal song to say, stick to those things. Let's be about the essentials of the gospel. We face all kinds of distractions in life. Paul and Timothy's context had distraction. And we have our own kinds. So I, I would like to think marketer. I tell my kids every time I go to the store, there's people who get paid a lot of money to make us buy things we don't need. And we didn't know we wanted until we saw it. So every time we go to whatever store it is, it's a secret mission. Like we have a mission to get these things and not get distracted. And usually we win. But every once in a while, they get us. They get me. Usually, they get me. But, but marketers love to hijack our time and redirect our financial goals to their goals, right? They're really good at saying, you didn't know you needed this, but you actually need this. It'll make your life that much better. And we live in an age of distractions, whether it's apps on our phones or billboards on our daily commute or an email inbox filled with spam, We're constantly bombarded with messages from others who want us to spend time doing their thing because time is money. And if they can get five minutes of our time, they know they can get 50 and probably 50 bucks. Marketers have learned to use bright colors available on our smartphones to grab and keep our attention. We may have new technology, but human nature really hasn't changed. The kinds of things that distract us are the novel and flashy the speculative and the new. This is the kind of thing that Paul was warning Timothy about. 
Timothy didn't have Facebook reels or cable news, but he did have irreverent and silly myths. This isn't the first time that Paul has warned about this. It's quite a theme in 1 Timothy. Don't get distracted. People in Paul's day loved to hear the latest gossip and the latest novel ideas. And just like today, such novelties distract us from our end goal of godliness. How many of you have ever set a workout plan for yourself and found yourself spending more time figuring out what playlist you're going to listen to rather than doing the reps? If, if you don't know that, just go to the gym this January and you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. In Nicholas's Carr's book, The Shallows, How the Internet is Changing Our Brains, he describes how he lost the ability to read books because hyperlinks had conditioned him to interrupt his train of thought. He found himself jumping from one line of thinking to another without following the argument all the way through. In many ways, the internet has created for us the ability for us to be distracted by irreverent and silly myths, all in the privacy of our own homes and in the palm of our hand. We don't need to go to the grocery store and pick up the magazine off of the rack to read about how the moon landing didn't happen. We can just read about it from the thing we carry around in our pocket. But Paul is pleading with us, don't be distracted by such things. We have godliness to get to. Paul develops this further in verse 8. Look, bodily training is of some benefit. And the implication is this. Think about the level of commitment that an Olympic athlete or some high-level, world-class athlete will do to achieve their goals. So triathlon, marathon, climbing Mount Everest. I, I love mountains. And Liz got me a, a magazine this Christmas that had a bunch of stories about people who had climbed mountains. And one of the stories was about, about a man named Arnie Ness who climbed Mount Everest in 1985. And what attracted me to reading more about his story in particular was he, was, he climbed mountains until he was about 19, and then he stopped, got into the business world, and did that for a long time until he was in his 40s. And then he said, you know what? I've had enough of making money. I want to climb mountains. And so he gives up his calling in the business world and decides, I'm going to climb mountains. And he is like, I'm going to climb Mount Everest because I've got to climb the highest one in the world and I don't have a lot of time left. I'm 40. I've got, the clock is ticking. So he applied for a permit to climb Mount Everest and the, the climb he wanted to climb, which at that time only 17 others had climbed it. He didn't use oxygen. He wanted to lead a team. And he wanted to be the first Norwegian to lead a Norwegian team. And he had to sign up for a permit that was five years later. So he would be 47 when he could actually climb Mount Everest. But he was so committed to it, he prioritized his, his list of things he wanted to accomplish. He said, you know what? I want a Norwegian to get to the top of Everest, number one. Number two, I want the team I lead to get there safely and back. And three, if I can't make it, that's fine. But if I can make it, that would be my third goal. And so he decided, that's my goal. I'm going to get a team there and back safely. And he spent five years training to, do, to accomplish that goal. Paul's logic here is simple. If people, like an Arnie Ness, will spend five years of training for a summit of Everest, how much more are we to give to train for godliness? Verse Eight, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And we'll see it in verse 9 that that is probably kind of a pop culture saying. Like, 
like Paul's actually quoting something that people would have had resonance with. Um, kind of like we hear the, the really terrible saying, like, I'm not spiritual, but I'm, 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 uh, I'm spiritual, but not religious. Think, put it in that category. Godliness is of value, and bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And, and there's, there's some truth here, right? So we do train for godliness by devoting ourselves to sound doctrine in the Bible. And we sit together under faithful preaching and teaching. And we pray. And we read our Bibles regularly. We practice generosity, giving of the gifts God has given us. We serve others by the strength that God supplies. And slowly and often almost imperceptibly, God causes the growth. We'll find that in time and in incremental changes, we will grow. If we say no to distractions and yes to sound teaching from God's word and do what he says. The question for us to ask are what are some distractions that are holding us back from investing in those things? There's a lot of options online for you. You know, Facebook, Marco Polo, Instagram, binging the latest TV series. What does your internet history say about the state of your soul? But in this question, I don't want you to hear condemnation, but an invitation to turn away from the ways that we can fill our time that actually are futile, but to come to the water and drink because we can draw near to the words of life. Because God is the God of life, the living God. And Paul continues in verse 9 through 10, and he affirms the saying, and he says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. And, I, and I, there's some disagreement on this, but I think that Paul is referring to that that we just talked about. Bodily training is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, godliness, we toil and strive because we have set our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. We don't strive for godliness in kind of a generic way. But we strive for godliness because our hope is set on Christ. Our hope is set on the living God. The living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. And in verse 10, we are confronted with the totality of Christ's saving reign and his exclusivity. So Christ is not the kind of conquering king that comes and says, hey, guess what, I'm king, and so you're stuck. You're, you're just going to do what I have to say. But there's actually an invitation right now for repentance. An invitation that our hearts might actually be transformed, that we would be willing and eager to bow the knee to the conquering king. That's unusual. He's not a king who comes first to bring judgment, but he's a king who's, who's come that we might have the opportunity to repent and turn to him. And that time is now. There is a time when judgment is coming. But Christ is not a coercive and manipulative king, but a gracious king who eagerly is extending right now a gracious invitation. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, rest for your souls. He's the king who says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me will have life abundantly. Because Jesus is the living God. That's his invitation to each one of us this morning. So whatever it is that you're finding pulling you away from that, from, from Christ alone, here this is a call from him today. It's not too late. Turn to him now.
But in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, there's the account of Israel's wandering in the wilderness. They've just been rescued from Egypt. They're wandering in the wilderness, and they're complaining. They're grumbling against their Savior. And serpents come, poisonous venomous serpents come, and, and begin to bite the people of Israel, and they're dying. And there's confusion, as you can imagine. But God, in the midst of that confusion, speaks to Moses, and he says, Moses, make a serpent. Out of bronze, put it on a pole, and tell the people, look at this serpent that's been raised up and live." Quite the vivid account, but it, it was God actually peeling back the mundane so that, that the peop, his people could see and we could see the spiritual reality that confronts us. That we are all sick and we're all in need of a doctor and we're all dying. And we all need Jesus. We need the living God. Just like the serpent was raised on a pole, Jesus was raised on a pole. We're all perishing and all of us who want to live have to look to him. And all who look on him are saved. And it is this magnificent reality that Paul speaks of when he says in verse 11, command and teach these things. This call to train for godliness is for all of us. We are all servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was curious about what happened to Arnie Ness. Like, so this guy who leads... A trip to the top of Everest. How did his life end? And I found his obituary. He died in 2004 at the age of 66, climbing mountains. He was climbing a mountain in South Africa, and he fell 300 feet to his death. When his anchor ripped loose from the mountain face, which had a weakness, and he fell. He had a friend who was waiting for him at the bottom, and he never came back. We all have to serve someone or something greater than ourselves. And there is something about the allure of the mountain that called Arnie away from just making money. So he, he, put, he gave his life, he left his life behind to pursue the glory of the mountains. And the glory of the mountains is what he got. Arnie gave his life to the glory of the mountains. This is my challenge for us. May our obituary be just as stark. But for a grander purpose, may we train with godliness as our gain and our end. Because we have a far greater rock, a mountain who shall not be moved, an anchor that will not give way. We all have various calls and stations in life, but be faithful where you've been planted. And right there, show and tell others about Christ. What are ways that you can show others and ways that you can tell others about what Christ has done for us all? We all can become distracted, distracted by entertainment and many things that pretend not to be entertainment, but if we dig a little deeper, they, they actually are. What are the ways that distraction by the meaningless and trivial have crowded out gospel nourishment for you? We each have a call to commit ourselves to the work of training for godliness. If people will reorient their lives around something as 
grand and yet temporal as mountains. How much more ought we to train for eternal gain? And what an eternal gain. What a blessed hope, because we hope in the living God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, the God of hope, the living God, the mountain who should not be moved, bring your spirit to fall fresh on us, Lord. Make us see ways that we can grow in godliness. Call us, Lord, in in your mercy to repentance, to turn from those ways that we have put our eyes to other things and drawn away from being purposeful but aimless. Invigorate, Father. Invigorate us, Father, as we pray. Make us purposeful in our walk. Give us a vision for the godliness that you would have us to strive for. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Christ Bible Church. Remember, this world is dripping with meaning because Christ created it, he sustains it, and he is reconciling it all to himself. Now go and live out that glorious truth.